0: Now, how many of you have ever got mad at someone and thought, boy, you know, if the earth just opened up and swallowed this person right now, I wouldn't blink an eye. Anybody ever honestly felt like that? Maybe you're thinking of some politicians that you see on the news. You know, boy, you wish that would happen. Well, Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter. He's saying, if we harbor anger against someone... We're hopping on that subway train, and eventually, you know, in our heart, we're murdering that person in our heart. Ooh, wow. When, when that x-ray is put up against my heart, I'm guilty of that, right? We have anger in our heart, in our minds. <laughs> um, we need to guard our hearts and daily turn to Jesus for transformation. I can't change on my own, but I need to take it to Jesus. I need to take it to him each day. Lord, help me. Change my heart attitude. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says, Let every person be quick to listen, right? slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of mankind does not produce the righteousness of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, Paul reminds the church, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Righteous anger is a good thing. You know, if we see someone getting abused, it's good to get angry about that, right? But it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. How many of you, uh, especially married folks, um, <clears throat> have had a little disagreement with your spouse at night, and you go to sleep, but your spouse doesn't go to sleep, stewing over it, and and I'm not saying this is a personal example per se, (laughs) don't don't ask me how I know these things, (laughs) but I think this verse speaks right to that. If we knowingly go to bed, knowing that there's still festering anger, unresolved issues, that's sin. And the Bible is very clear. Don't give Satan a foothold to cause a wedge between you and your spouse or you and anybody else. Deal with it. Deal with it before you go to bed. As soon as you think it, as soon as the Holy Spirit brings it to your mind, deal with it. Seek forgiveness, seek understanding. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And Paul continues in Ephesians 4.31, he says, put away all bitterness, put away all wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. In Romans 12.9, he says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, Paul says. You know, a law cannot change a human heart, but laws can certainly restrain and punish those who defy its authority and refuse to obey its principles. My question for you this morning, as an x-ray to our heart, how has this been a struggle for you? How has anger been a struggle for you? How have you let anger fester to the point where you really despised someone? Here's what you need to do. Simply ask Jesus to help you forgive that person. Ask Jesus to change your heart attitude towards that person. And here's something completely countercultural, but completely biblical. Ask Jesus to bless that person. Because until we get to that point where we release our anger, where we ask God to change me... And then we start praying God's blessings into that person's life. I'm never going to change. But when I do forgive in the power of Christ, everything can change. Now, is that hard? Yeah. Yeah, it's impossible on my own strength and power. That's why I speak Jesus. I need him every moment of every day in my life. The seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. This shows our struggle with sexual purity and being faithful. Um, God is a jealous God, and, and, and that is a very good thing. Because godly jealousy, he wants our affection to be for him only. He doesn't want us to go chasing after other things that compete with his glory, his affection. It's kind of like a faithful spouse desires their spouse to be faithful and loving and and to be faithful to one another, devoted only to each other and no other. This command speaks of the dangers of being unfaithful, like the nation of Israel would eventually be unfaithful to God later on. If you keep reading in the Old Testament, you see that story. I told this story to the Iwana kids uh, a couple of weeks ago, but <clears throat> think of it like this. If Johnny is throwing a birthday party and he invites his best friend Bobby to the birthday party, Bobby's all excited and he can't wait and he's planning ahead and you know they're gonna have pizza and go bowling or whatever. And, but then a new kid moves into town and Johnny's like, ooh, I wanna invite this guy. But I, my mom said I can only invite one person. So he invites the new kid to his birthday party to go bowling with him, but then he disinvites his friend Bobby. How do you think Bobby felt? He felt let down. Bobby felt like, wait a minute, you're my friend. You disinvi- now you're disinviting me? You're being unfaithful to me. And that's exactly the point. God doesn't want us to be unfaithful to him. And God doesn't want us to be unfaithful to one another. God has created sex to be um, an amazing thing within its proper boundaries. But unfortunately, our culture has dramatically cheapened it in our society ever since the creation of mankind. God has created sexual intimacy. And by the way, think of that word intimacy in these terms. Into me See. Into me, see. God has created sexual intimacy to be a wonderful bonding and good gift from God when used in the appropriate context of a marriage. One man and one woman representing the love and devotion of Jesus Christ for his people. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 5. Think of proper sex as like fire in the home. In its proper place, within its proper boundaries, the fire belongs in a fireplace, right? There, in its proper and safe context, it provides warmth and enjoyment, and it is a wonderful experience. But fire outside of those boundaries, uh, those God-ordained boundaries, will eventually cause problems and burn the house down. All sexual sins outside of the covenant of marriage are wrong in God's eyes and destructive to one another. I mentioned last week, and I'll mention it again, Anytime time God's word, the Bible, says, don't do something, God is telling us, don't hurt yourself. I've got a better plan for you. Follow me. Follow, I, I've created you, I know what's best for you. This command was meant to protect people and to help them to trust in God fully. Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter again. Matthew 5, his Sermon on the Mount, verses 27 and 28. He said, You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that anyone who even looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Even just lust in our heart, we've committed adultery. We've gotten on the train, and, and we've already taken it in our heart. And I don't know a guy who has not struggled with this issue. I've struggled with it. Every guy I know has struggled with it. But it's what you do with the struggle. The struggle is a good thing. That means we're wrestling with it. And, and, and we take it to the Lord. We take every thought captive and we t- make it obedient to Christ, Paul says. And I know that this can be a huge struggle for many of us. And that is why, like Mike mentioned, there are opportunities if you're struggling with this or many other issues to come and be around people who will not judge you, to be around people who know we're broken and who simply want to point you to our Savior so that he can bring healing and forgiveness into your life, that you can experience that fully. Um, Jesus is the one who offers forgiveness. 1 John 1.9, If you confess your sins to God, he is faithful and will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And I love how Jesus treats the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. Do you notice at the end of that, he says, where are your condemners? They are gone. I don't condemn you either. But then he says, I'm putting you back on track. Go and sin no more. That is the love and grace and truth and love of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that we follow such a merciful Savior? No one wakes up one day and says, I'm going to commit adultery. Again, just like murder, it's a gradual slide, which often begins with an undisciplined lifestyle. One temptation, giving into lust, and then going back for a second look, going back for more will lead you into deeper trouble. Get off that train. Don't take it to its conclusion. Martin Luther once said this, you cannot stop the birds from flying overhead, but you can prevent them from nesting in your hair. I don't think he knew me obviously at that time but <laughs> but in other words what he was saying is this We cannot always help what we see in this world There is temptation all around us in this world but we can control how we respond to that temptation We can't help the first look perhaps but we can help the second look and the third look and the dwelling of our minds on that, which leads to trouble. That's why Paul says again and again to flee temptation, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and other passages, before it leads to sin. Temptation is not the sin. It's when we give into the temptation that it becomes sin. Again, God's x-ray to our heart. He wants to suck the poison of sin and the destructiveness of sin out of our lives so that we can be freed up to experience the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ every single day. So some of you may be struggling and may have struggled for years with lust and giving into temptation. You are not alone. You are loved by God with an everlasting love. Let's pray for one another and let's find victory together. Commit today to give it to the Lord. Tell a trusted believer friend to hold you accountable. James 5.16 reminds us, when we confess our sins one to another, we find healing. We confess our sins to God, we find forgiveness. When we confess our sins one to another, we find healing. God designed it that way. Because now we've got accountability, people to hold us accountable and to pray for us. Here at Harvest, again, we have non-judgmental groups like Freedom in Christ on Thursday evenings. It's like Celebrate Recovery. We also have an excellent video-based curriculum called the Conquer Series, which I would love to help walk you through that. We have others that would love to help you walk through that as well to help you find the road to freedom and victory over sexual temptation. God loves you, and he wants to help you find freedom, especially with this particular struggle in your life. The eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal, shows our struggle with personal integrity and trusting God to provide. Stealing is taking what doesn't belong to you. It could be taking a pen or taking a Porsche. It could be stealing from your employer or cheating on your taxes. It could be refusing to pay workers what they are due, etc. Or maybe we cheat God. We withhold our tithes and offerings to Him. As we mentioned earlier, Dave mentioned earlier, um, when we give our tithes and offerings, it's, it's an opportunity to worship God. It's an opportunity to give back to God what He has so graciously Uh, a portion of what he's so graciously given to us. Really, what we're saying is, do we trust God to provide all of my needs? Am I willing to give back a little bit? Psalm 24 reminds us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell there within. Everything belongs to God. Ask and let him decide if we need anything. Psalm 37.4 reminds us to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. James 1.17 reminds us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I love the story in Luke 19 of a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Back in that day, a tax collectors were looked at as traitors, were looked on and despised. They cheated people out of their taxes until he met Jesus one day. And everything changed in Zacchaeus' life. Zacchaeus said to the Lord, I'm going to give half of my goods back to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it four times. Again, John 10.10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but God wants to change those who steal and help, help them to help others be productive. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with others, with anyone in need. How do we change from selfishness We give to God and we give back to others in need. There was once a man, I read this story, uh, who was sent to prison for being a thief. When he did his time and was released, he found a local church and he got saved. He found Christ. When attending church, though, he noticed a, a small plaque on the wall listing the Ten Commandments. And as he read them, his eyes were glued to the one that says, "'Thou shall not steal.'" Well, that was his issue. And he just felt the weight of shame just flood over him again and again and again. He felt the weight of condemnation. But then as he sat there, and as he listened to God's word, it was as if the Lord helped him to see these commands in a totally different different light. He read them all once again. And instead of condemnation... He read them from this perspective. Now with Jesus in my life, I have the power not to have any other gods before me. I have the power not to create God in my image. I have the power not to steal any more. In Christ, he found strength to find victory over his sin each day. And you and I can too. The last or the ninth commandment. <clears throat> The Ninth Commandment is this, bear no false witness. It shows our struggle with honesty. This is the intentional attempt to hurt someone through falsehood or lies. This is not being ignorant of truth. It's knowing the truth but choosing to lie anyway. Lies and slander can ruin a person's life. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Lying imitates the devil who Jesus described in John 8 as the father of lies. It's a contrast of Christ's followers who uh, Paul encourages in Ephesians 4 to speak the truth in love, building each other up in love. Psalm 120, verse 2, Lord, help me, deliver me from lying lips. How is the Lord helping you to be vulnerable and honest with one another? Lastly, the 10th commandment, You shall not covet. This shows our struggle with contentment, being content. To covet is a longing to possess something that is not yours. And if we obey the first commandment, to have no other gods before me, you alone, I can trust in you, God. If I can truly love God, he will help us truly obey all the other commandments. Obedience is a matter of the heart, like we've been talking about. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, Jesus says, you will obey my commands. We all can struggle with discontentment with what we have or have been given. How many of you have seen, you know, the new iPhone um, ads and you're like, oh, suddenly my iPhone 11 doesn't, doesn't work as good. Well, it worked fine yesterday before I saw the commercial. Advertisers know how to pull your emotional strings. Advertisers know how to make you discontent with what you have. That's how they sell products, right? How do we learn to be content with what we have? A covetous person is a materialistic person. A person thinks more highly of our material things than spiritual things. Really, it goes back to pride, right? Pride underlines all of these 10 struggles. That's why the writer of Hebrews 13:5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I, Jesus says, I never will leave you and never will forsake you. Praise God. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6:6, 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Jesus says in Luke 12, Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And Paul reminds us in Philippians 4 that he has learned in whatever situation poor, struggling, or or with a lot to be content. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and I've learned to be content. I want to close this out before we close with a story. I heard of um, a story about how greed can get a hold of people and control their lives. There was a woman uh, named Henrietta Garrett uh, who lived uh, on the East Coast and who died at the age of 81. This was back in 1930. But she left no will, but she also left a $17 million estate. She had only one known relative, a second cousin, and a few, very few friends. Yet, as I was reading, there were 26,000 claims filed. Over 2,600 people attempted to prove a relationship and lay claim to her fortune. These people came from 47 states in the United States and 29 other countries represented by more than 3,000 lawyers. The case, remember she died in 1930, was eventually resolved in 1950, 1950, about 20 years later the things that some of these people did to stake a claim to her estate were just astounding some committed perjury some faked family records others changed their own names some uh, altered data in older church bibles that's where a lot of you know genealogy was was traced back in old church bibles we don't we don't have one of those here but <clears throat> some made up tales of illegitimacy as a result 12 of these people were fined 10 received jail sentences Um, three were murdered all because of greed coveting what was not theirs people did things way out of character because of the love of money people can become slaves to desire for more how is God helping you become more content with what he has given you Ask God to be content, to find contentment in him. And here's a practice I want to encourage you to do if you haven't already. Make a list of all the things that you are thankful to God for. Because if you have a thankful heart, your desire for more stuff will lessen and lessen. You'll be content with what you have. And here's another thing. If you find yourself ruled by greed and wanting more, give things away. Be generous to others. Give back to God. Give back to those in need. Start giving things away. And you'll find that God will bless you and encourage you and give you peace and give you contentment for what he has given to you. Thank him each day for what he has blessed you with and ask you to help Be content with all you have. I want to wrap it up as our worship team comes forward for our final song. Picture of the x-ray again. God's moral laws still stand. He expects you and I to honor him, to demonstrate love to him through our obedience. Jesus in Matthew 5 turns our our focus inward to examine our heart, just like an x-ray. Out of our heart comes our true thoughts, words, and actions. What struggles in life Which of these 10 greatest struggles are you struggling with now? What has God been stirring up in your heart? God wants to stir up that stuff so that he can bring healing to it. That he can put to death once and for all some of these things that you're dealing with. What struggles in life do you need to give over to him? What areas of your life do you need Jesus to come in and bring his healing he wants to give you victory each and every day over these 10 greatest struggles in our lives. Lord, help us in our struggles in life to turn them all over to you each day. Every day is a battle, but you have won the ultimate victory, and we can turn to you for your power and your grace and your mercy. You don't condemn us. You want to help us, and that's why you've given us these laws to help us overcome our struggles in your power, in your grace, in your mercy, by your spirit and by your word. Thank you for the gift of your church that we can help one another in all of our struggles. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.